Hi everyone, it's Mike, cutting in here to let you know that we've launched a Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash cosmerecast. We've also opened our Discord server to the public. The invite link for that is also at our Patreon page. As always, you can get updates on when episodes go live via Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for listening. Please, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Dave. What's up? Craig. Hello. And Tori. Hello, Internet. Uh, so we start every episode with good thing. Um, I'd kind of like to go first this time. I, I usually don't. Uh, so my good thing this week is the new Brandon Sanderson book, Skyward. Uh, just hey. sword. Who's that guy? Um, my wife picked it up for me. I thought you were me. talking about a Zelda game this whole time. Keep going, Mike. Just go. My wife picked it up for me uh, at one of her monthly gatherings uh, with some friends at Barnes & Noble. Uh, and it's really good. It's uh, it's a young adult, and the the very the mm, the basic genre is a boy and his dragon, except it's a girl and her starfighter, and it doesn't quite replace um the rhythmatist as my favorite Brandon Sanderson thing ever, but oh man, it's very very good. I highly recommend it. It's the first book out of, I think, an eventual trilogy. He's already pretty much done with the second book, which I guess shows how incredibly excited Brandon is about these books, which very, very definitely translates, you know, onto the page as you're reading. Like, you can tell how much he was enjoying writing this as as you're reading it. And it's super good. Um, yeah. Highly recommend. Skyward. Brandon Sanderson. Who's next? That, that's non-Cosmere, right? It is uh, non-Cosmere. It does yeah, tie yeah, into yeah. another Brandon Sanderson thing that is also non-Cosmere called Defending Elysium, which is like a short story that he wrote at some point that is on his website, and I still haven't read it, and I need to. I intend to whenever I get you know, time again. That sounds like it could be an alimantic metal, Elysium. Yeah, it's the 37th Alimantic Metal. You you burn it and your hair grows. <laughs> oh, the opposite dang. Too. Spoilers. You could read it, though. If you wanted to read some non-Cosmere stuff, feel free. I probably should, since I'm very enjoying Brandon's writing. And his, I, his young adult stuff is different. Like, hmm. his writing style is... It's what am I reading, still, then? What are you reading? It's, well, I mean, what, uh, what is the target audience for the Mistborn trilogy? Um, fantasy, fantasy adult, adult fans, yeah, adult. I would just call okay. it adult. Whereas young adult, I mean, there is a difference, and you can tell when you're picking up. I'm just letting you know so you're aware, but it doesn't okay. really change much. There's still the the depth that you normally get. I don't believe he uses the word maladroit anywhere near as often in Skyward <laughs> oh as gosh. he does in Mistborn. I haven't even it. come I'm across like, it. Crap! And, uh... It's all over the place. Like, why? It hasn't why come up in Mall of Ascension yet. It's a good descriptive word. Anyway, Possibly. someone else do a good thing. Ineptly. Um, <laughs> buy a thesaurus, Brandon. Speaking uh, of good things, I, a thesaurus. <laughs> oh, I want to go. My good thing this week is another video game soundtrack, and this one's kind of an underdog one. I'm going to put it out there. Donkey Kong Country 3. Now, Evelyn Fisher is obviously no David Wise, but she does a fantastic job on this soundtrack. Uh, my favorite song from this game is Enchanted Riverbank. It reminds me of The Lion King, and it's fun and great. So I have a question. Yeah. Have you featured each Donkey Kong Country soundtrack? No. Nah, so far? I don't think I ever will feature, feature uh, Donkey Kong Country 1 as a soundtrack as a whole. It's good. Uh, if I did, it would probably just be aquatic ambience as a good thing. I I didn't feature DKC2 soundtrack. I featured Forest Interlude from the DKC. Oh, that's right, yeah. Sticker Brush but Symphony yeah, Faux Life. Yeah, I even explained that Sticker Brush Symphony was my favorite song, but that I was thoroughly enjoying Forest Interlude that week. And, I mean, obviously nobody's David Wise. He's just like this unattainable level of greatness. And he's really cool too. Like he's done remixes for Overclock Remixes album. He loves 
hearing different takes on his own work. Uh, I also saw like a funny tweet from him. Someone tweeted to him at David Wise. I really enjoyed the Donkey Kong 64 soundtrack. And David Wise replied, yeah, Grant Kirkhope did an awesome job on that. <laughs> Someone else go. Okay, so, wow, Mike is demanding. I want to take a, a page out of Dave's book here. Uh, and I was talking to him briefly about this. But I want to give, and, I, and maybe we did this already, but I want to give shout outs to the FTL soundtrack. Because it's so good. Just the music. I mean, the game is really good. But the soundtrack is really good. And I think that's part of why the game is so good. But the reason I want to mention it, so I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, but it's done by Ben Prunty, maybe? I don't know. Dave can correct me. But he has just been hired by the Subnautica people to do the the soundtrack for the new Subnautica expansion. And I'm super excited about that because I love Subnautica. And he did really good music in FTL. And we're putting them together, and it's going to be amazing. Okay, Tori, your turn. Okay, so at the time of recording, it's December, and it's almost Christmas. I have no idea when this is going to air, but given that it's December and almost Christmas, my good thing for the week is Hogfather, the book by Terry Pratchett, because I read it every year in December. It's one of his Discworld novels. I think it's like the 19th Discworld novel. I don't know. They're all good, and you can read them in any order. And so I highly recommend you go out and read that one. Uh, it's good if you read it at Christmas time because it's kind of holiday themed, but you don't have to read it at Christmas time because it doesn't take place at Christmas. It takes place on the Discworld holiday of Hogswatch, which is very similar to Christmas, but it's not Christmas. And uh, if you're not a reader, which I don't know why you're listening to a literary podcast, uh-huh. but if you're not a reader, there's also a um, a miniseries uh, that was done by, I think, Sky One. Um, but it's good. And um, yeah, so it's a good uh, feel-good holiday cheer book and or miniseries, Hogfather. I recommend it. I would like to second the recommendation for both of those things. The book is excellent, as most Terry Pratchett books are, and the the Sky One BBC whatever move two part movie and or extremely short mini series, very mini mini series, uh, very very good. All Mike of the Terry you. Pratchett or the the Discworld um, movies, I guess, are really really good. There are three that I know of. There might be more. So it's been a little while since we've like talked about Mistborn. Um, Dave, before you go into this week's chapters, which are the Well of Ascension 4 through 6, why don't you give us a quick recap of the beginning of the book and then go back into, and then go back into hopefully your bullet points and then the chapters and yeah. It sounds like a job for Tori, actually. She takes detailed notes and synopses. I write bullet points and didn't actually do so for the first three chapters of this book. All right, Dave, why don't you have Tori recap us for the first three chapters? (laughs) Hey, Tori. I don't have my notebook with me. Look, guys, I got this. Uh, Dave, could you ask Tori to ask Craig to recap us for the first three chapters, please? (laughs) So there's this dude named The Watcher. That's not his name. And there's this mist is appearing during the daytime and taking human form. Craig. Soylent mist is people. Gotcha. Ellen Venture <laughs> and Hammond stare outwards from the tops of Luthadel's walls at the eve of their siege. Straff Venture and his 50,000 estimated nope, soldiers. Nope, 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 Don't just read from the link that I gave you. What is there? It's right here. And it's yeah, plagiarism. I'm ready to congratulate on a wiki? On these notes. Cite your sources, Craig. All right, from the Coppermine Wiki. <laughs> well, go on and read it out to us then. Oh, okay. I thought I was going to stop. Um, where oh, I right? get it now, Coppermine Wiki. Yeah, well, Dave's not allowed to go there. For it's like Memory Alpha. Breeze has disappeared too, and Ellen is unsure where Vin is. Vin skulls through the streets to meet Osir. Having her suspicions of being followed deflated, she suggests returning to the wall just before a hail of steel plush coins 
hurtled towards her. Uh oh. Cliffhanger. So she's ambushed by some Alamancers, um, including Thug, Coinshot, Lurcher, Smoker, and I think that was also a hidden Mistborn in there too. Yeah, so I recall. She kicks their butt with some help from the Watcher, but she has to use her last beat of ATM. And Orsier is gravely injured. <laughs> I'm not gonna get the, however you say it. I'm just gonna say Orsier. Um, and of course, Vin doesn't give him a, a body because she doesn't want to do that. Uh, and then Ellen's working on some proposal for the assembly so that way he can actually parlay with the, with Straff. And Vin's keeping an eye out for things. And then she notices that, well, what did you call Dave? Like the, the, um, the, the distant pulse. No, not the oopsium. <laughs> but yes, there's that too. Um, distant pulse? Yeah, and then they mentioned that set, uh, that the, um, the, the, the ambush was set by, by Ashweather Set, a king from the Western Dominance. This is riveting. That's what you wanted. Yes, silence is specifically the thing that I asked for. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, Dave, would you like to continue with your bullet points for chapter four? Okay, so before I jump right into chapter four, I meant to mention last week about the italicized text and where I thought we were going with that. So, uh, first of all, in chapter one, the italicized text is said to be written in steel. So, at first I was kind of curious, is this, like, does this guy have a pen with with molten steel ink? Or <laughs> does he have... Uh, is he like chiseling it or etching it into a steel plate, or is does steel have some kind of ferrochemical power that can st- store these words? Uh, so that's something that I I kind of was was hey, going Dave. through my mind. Hey Dave, we're g- that's going to be answered soon. But what? Oh, okay. I was going to say, yeah. go to yeah, your kitchen. Like, we're we're getting to it. Pick up a spoon. <laughs> does it have writing on it? And does it say stainless steel? That's different. Okay. This, this is Mist World we're talking about. Uh, so, anyways, we're getting we're, we'll have an answer to that in a bit. But that was something that was going through my mind in week one of Fall of Ascension. Uh, so it turns out the author of these italicized words is Quan, and I poked uh, back into my old Mistborn notes and searched for Quan, and I found that I had written. Quan seems like a cool dude. Uh, <laughs> he's the one that uh, found the Clenai uh, man that they were taking to the Well of Ascension. And uh, we know he's the author of the logbook. We learn his name, finally. His name is Alendi. This is the man that uh, the terrorist men found, and Alendi was to fulfill their prophecy. He wrote the logbook, and... He got thrown into Mount Doom when he was supposed to uh, get the powers. And then, of course, Rayshek got them instead and became the Lord Ruler. So, Elendi. All right. Now, into the bullet points for Chapter 4. Sazed investigates Wiggly Death. Day Mist. Hot Autumn. Hada! Peasant versus Ska. Woes of Anarchy. Why did Lord Roller abandon us? So this chapter has us seeing Sazed fulfilling his duty as a keeper and passing on the knowledge of agriculture and religion to some sky in the south. And uh, while he's down there, some guy just starts convulsing and dying. Someone reports that there was mist during the day. Uh, And... I wrote, I also found it interesting that as Sazed is looking up burial ritual for this guy and, and other things, he has, actually has to pull the memories out of the copper jewelry that he's wearing, his copper mind, uh, named after the Brandon Sanderson wiki, of course. And (laughs) (laughs) that way, not the other way around. Uh, so anyway. He does mention that I'm going to have to make sure to put this stuff back into the copper mine before I forget it. So it's kind of cool. Like it, it actually comes out of the copper jewelry as he recalls it and he has to get it back in there. 
okay, so there is mist during the daytime now, something that was unheard of during the times of the final empire. And also it's it's hot in autumn, so you know, we still have the hot climate uh that uh, I just kind of briefly mentioned that it was a hot autumn day, but I assume that we still have the hot climate that we've had in the final empire, at least for now. I think this is a year after the Lord Ruler was slain. Yeah. About right. Okay. Yeah. Uh so anyway, Sezed, forming his duties as a keeper, passes on the religion of Hada to the people in the southern dominance. And it's and said exactly is- like that. No, you yeah. have to say it more like a minion. Ta-da! <laughs> Okay, but it starts with an H, so it's Hada. And anyway, this is an agricultural deity that they worshipped, and this is a religion that followed basically agriculture. And he's oh, a thousand years ago, your ancestors probably worshipped this god and practiced this religion, and this is how they would bury their dead. And you know, they're not, they're not really interested. Yeah, says it. Let's just assume that these people who are farmers. <sighs> descended from farmers that's not racist (laughs) i mean it's not it's not just that i mean he could very well be right it's just that after so long of the lord ruler being god of this world there is such reluctance to adopt a new old religion and he's finding some opposition here and you know just the the chaos involved with there not being a lord ruler i mean people are committing crimes more openly because of the anarchy there's all kinds of chaos and you know he's like is this actually better than than what we had with the final empire and that's uh, certainly what the peasants are feeling because they ask why did the lord ruler abandon us and i I kind of took note that he doesn't really use the word ska in this chapter, but then ska is all over the rest of the book. So I guess I should have just deleted that note. That's the end of chapter four. Any questions? It was a pretty short chapter. It's like only three or four pages. Sounds good. No question. Okay. Um, chapter five. And- actually, I, I do have a question for you. Yeah. Um, why would Sazed know things about agricultural techniques? That several generations deep farmers don't. I suppose that maybe the working class didn't really have the knowledge of how farming works. Maybe they were just all laborers and didn't really understand why the process was done this way. Maybe that was more of noble knowledge and all the noblemen just kind of abandoned them here. Uh, Sezid, I mean, it's it's well within the realm of possibility that Sezid can know basically anything because of his time as a keeper and accruing knowledge. All right, I'm, I'll give you that Sezid can potentially have any bit of knowledge ever. He's like, he gets a bardic knowledge check, basically. <laughs> what I'm wondering is why... D20 plus charisma plus his bard level. Why, why the farmers, farmers why the descended farmers from farmers who have been farmers for a thousand years uh, don't know stuff about farming? I mean, there isn't really fertile soil. They never really bothered to take the ash, you know, clean up the ash and make rich soil. They, he does mention that the only rich soil that really exists in this world is for the gardens of noblemen and, you know... People just make do with what they have. So maybe he knows more about how to clean soil or how to better use fertile soil. Okay. This this just always bothered me Like as soon as I thought to think about it. Cause <laughs> but if you actually have... I can talk to you about it in the spoiler section. I have a theory. Okay. I am eager to learn it because this bothers me. All right, guys. I'll see you next week. Spoiler times. Let's do chapter five and we'll come back. Uh, Chapter five. I just want to preface chapter five by saying chapter five is a fantastic chapter. I, it really made me love and appreciate Brandon Sanderson's uh, skill with the quill. 
this chapter, a lot happens in this chapter. A lot of ground is covered, you know, of questions that were left in Mistborn whilst raising new questions and giving us something forward to to learn uh, throughout this book. It's also it's paced really well. Like while stuff is happening, we also get reflective moments of, you know, how Vin feels about, you know, Kelsier's final actions, how Vin and Ellen's relationship has developed. You know, they can slow down and focus in on that stuff while having good exposition and not just having it be explainy for 20 pages or whatever. It's, it's really good. I like it. Okay. So chapter five, uh, and chapter five is broken up into three different sections I have here. So I'll do bullet points section by section. And the first section, Vin strolls through town reflecting on her past. Bronze Earring, Priest of the Survivor, Lady Air. What was Kel's Endgame? Very British Puppy Salesman, Animal Companion, yay! So, uh, Vin is going through the streets of Luthadel. Markets are much more busy now that people can actually work for a living and, you know, accrue their own wealth. And, you know, she's like, she she feels kind of estranged from her former self, and she's not really sure if that's good or bad. And she considers her bronze earring. And I don't know if the... I was curious about the material of the earring, as you guys all know. I don't know if it ever actually is mentioned in Mistborn, but we finally know that it's bronze. And I feel like that's going to be important at some point, either for Alucam or... Um, Alumantic, or possibly even ferrochemical, or maybe even a third thing. Who knows? Uh, I, I do. I'll go over some of the ferrochemical metals uh, in a little bit as well. But uh, bronze earring. So keep that in mind. All right. So she's kind of sworn by all these people from the religion that Kelsier inadvertently, on purpose, sort of started. Uh, they they're the Church of the Survivor and the Priests of the Survivor are calling Finn Lady Air because she is the she is the one that survived past the Survivor of Hathston. And she's just like what what was Kel actually trying to accomplish, you know, with starting a religion? And did he know that it was would greatly inconvenience me? Uh so I also, just a quick note on the writing, and again, just a shout out to Brandon Sanderson here. Very subtle. Uh, one of the priests is talking about how uh, Vin survived when Kelsier did not. And the word survived, is, even though it's written as a verb, is still written with a capital S. And I think that's a very awesome, subtle way to emphasize if I guess that's an oxymoron, subtle emphasis, but just kind of how serious people are taking this religion. The fact that he says it with a capital S, even though obviously in conversation you wouldn't see the capital S, but as a reader, you you get that idea from it. Just a quick note on the rating. All right. So uh, Vin escapes the crowds and comes up to this puppy salesman who lives on world France, but seems very, very British. I wonder if it's Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, but he's <laughs> anyway. He tries to sell her like a cute little baby puppy. She's like, "No, give me that big mean one." And she flares Peter and bops it on the head and walks off with it draped over her shoulder. And now she has an animal companion. Maybe you want to know what she's doing with this. And that's the end of the section. So yeah, I like how you know. Just in the break, I kind of was reflecting how I like this chapter. It sets the mood uh, where. Our characters' mindsets are. <laughs> Mike, stop distracting. Uh, I like how we really get the mindset of characters and how their thoughts developed over the past year, and it fills in the gaps, you know, in the transition since the collapse, as they're calling it. All right, uh, next part. Vin returns to Ensign and commands him to Little Nemo the puppy. Letter from Tyrium. Duralumin. 
Awesome. Only does what Vin explicitly commands. So Vin takes the puppy back to awesome, and she's like, here's your new body. And he's like, that sucks. So you command me to do it or I won't do it, but I'll do it because of the contract. And she finds a package and a letter from this dude named Tyrium, who is a, an allomantic metallurgist. And he's trying to develop this opposite of, or whatever metal, we don't know yet till the next part. Um, <laughs> he's trying to develop new and discover new allomantic metals with, uh, Vin and Vin kind of being the guinea pig on him. But she was anticipating this package for a while and she's like, how come you didn't tell me that this package arrived? And he's like, you did not command me to tell you when a package arrived. So I feel like we're kind of getting to a point where she basically like dies because she didn't explicitly, well not dies, but she's going to get into trouble uh, because she's expecting something of her servant without explicitly telling him maybe. Uh, so I don't know. I just thought it was, it's an interesting detail to realize that it's, the Chandra is not necessarily going to go beyond what Vin tells him. So that's kind of a takeaway from that. So anyway, she opens up this letter from Tyrium, this guy, and there is a package included with a new metal called Duralumin. And this is an alloy of aluminum and copper. I don't remember if that actually is what, uh, if that's mentioned here or later in the chapter, but it's aluminum and copper. Okay, so next scene: Docs versus Elland. Exit Docs. Kissy scene. Ham arrives. Oopsium confirmed aluminum. Atium alloy. Finn doesn't get sick from duralumin and goes to spar with Ham. Okay, so uh, first off, we get a little interchange between Docs and Elland, and they don't like each other very much. Uh, you know, Ellen supposes that it's because Docs has kind of the ingrained hatred for noblemen and because he was so close with Kelsier. Uh, I think it's because Ellen is such a mess and Docs just loves having everything organized. I think he's just really frustrated with the way Ellen keeps his office. <laughs> That's my, I'm, I'm yeah, imagining yeah. just an Oscar Felix thing going on right here. <clears throat> So anyway, Docs has uh, finished making the final revisions on Ellen's speech, so Ellen has to practice on that, and Docs heads on out of there, and uh, Vin and Ellen have some alone time, and it's very sweet. They cuddle in Ellen's desk chair for a little bit and talk about how uh, Vin never could have cared for Kelsier the way that she cares for Ellen. Uh, because of Kelsier's just uh, outright viciousness at times. Like, Kelsier was charming, but as we all know, he sent in once in a while to go on a murderous rampage, yada yada. And, you know, that was always something that kind of bothered Vin. But she emphasizes that Ellen is a good man. So... They're making out, and Ham shows up, and he's like, oops, sorry, guys. Oops, um, <laughs> Oops, <laughs> uh, And speaking of oops, here's where we learn that Vin is trying to find the opposite metal to oops, uh, the metal I called copium, I think. And I'm very happy with myself, because I, and I think this is on record from the Mistborn wrap-up, if I said if I had to guess what oopsium was, it was probably some really lightweight metal, possibly aluminum, and nailed that one. Totally aluminum. Nailed it. Uh, now the question is, what is the alimantic opposite of aluminum? Is it perhaps uh, this duralumin, and what what would its abilities do? So it would be anti oopsium. Anti oopsium. I I said it would be copium. It's on purposeium. Couldn't it be alleyupium? <laughs> Helium? No, alleyupium. Alleyup. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Vin has tried burning other experimental metals and 
gotten sick and she burns this one and she doesn't get sick. So is this a real deal? What's going on? We don't know yet. It's kind of a cliffhanger. Okay. So since she's not sick, she's like, all right, let's go practice fight with Pam. And there you go. And oh, okay. Hang on. I, there are a couple of really subtle things that I think Brandon put in to reward the astute reader, and I hope he did. Uh, these could go unnoticed, but I picked up on them. On page 70 of my copy, and remember my copy is the one with Vin holding the buster sword on the cover. And page 70, toward the top, I'm going to read directly here. Any allomancer who accidentally burned aluminum had their other metal reserves stripped away from them, leaving them powerless. And I want to focus on the fact that this says any allomancer and not any mistborn. I don't know if uh, maybe mistings can burn aluminum or maybe any of the other secondary metals. I don't know. I'm I'm curious about this because we've already been told, perhaps by someone who was in the know, perhaps not. We've already been told that only mistborns can burn atium. Uh, but this is any allomancer who burns aluminum. I don't know if that is trying to allude to something that maybe there is some expanded power that mistings can access, even if that power is just, oops, I lost all my medals. Okay. I <laughs> can, I can answer this one, and I'm willing to do so if you want to hear it. Um, I, I think not at Maybe later on I'll I'll bring it back up, but uh, okay, okay. Another another thing that Sanderson kind of slipped in this chapter, and this is remember from Vin's perspective. So this is her knowledge that we're getting from. But an atium alloy is mentioned. She's like, oh, we need to find this aluminum alloy, and she's you know since she knows that aluminum can mess with her other metal reserves. She makes sure to, you know, fill up on other metals, but only the eight basic metals. She says, I don't have any ATM and it's too valuable to risk. And then gold and the, and gold's alloy and which is the 11th metal and ATM's alloy are too, are too pointless to bother with anyway. She mentions an ATM alloy, which I don't think has ever come up in Mistborn. But Vin apparently knows about this ATM alloy. And if this is something that I forgot about, then you can tell me that. But I don't, did, did Sanderson just think he could sneak in the phrase ATM alloy without me noticing? I don't think so. Trying to get one by you. Mike? He is very sneaky, the Brandon Sanderson is. <laughs> <laughs> just... I. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm not saying that as a saying. I literally mean correct me if I'm wrong. ATM is not mentioned to have an alloy in Mist Mistborn, is it? I don't remember, but I do know what she's talking about. Same. Okay. Well, alright. Uh, but she, at least Vin's speculation was that the 11th metal was an alloy of gold. And since she has this, she's in a position to do some research on things. I'm sure she's tested it out. So, so, all right. So yeah, I'm, I'm left curious about those two possible subtle hints that were dropped in in this chapter. So like I said, great chapter, great pacing. We get some soft moments. We get some questions answered, including, uh, that was chapter. We get some questions answered about you know other metals that occurred in mistborn yeah but we get new questions like what is this aluminum alloy going to do of course i was already asking that question at the end of mistborn but anyway chapter five how was it? that was easily in the top five chapters we've covered in this book <laughs> <laughs> any questions tori nope no questions Okay, so chapter six, I don't have, uh, this is like a slice of life chapter mostly. I don't really have a lot of bullet points on it, but. I, w I will uh, have a question that you, never mind, go on. Uh, so chapter six, oh, pounding it into a metal slab. <laughs> that is referring to the italicized text, so, uh, 
you got your answer. Quan. Yeah, Quan actually says pounding it into a metal slab. I thought it would have been cool if you had like a a, a steel ink pen, like a molten steel ink. That'd be so cool. I'm pretty All sure right. that would be extremely hot. But I'm tish. They'd have ways. They'd have ways to put up. Oh my god. Yeah, cool. All right, new spook, new ensemble. Uh, so there you have it. <laughs> Ellen is watching down yeah. into the courtyard. So I'll just I'll just say what happened. Ellen is watching down into the courtyard. Vin and Ham are sparring. An old club shows up, and he puts a coin down on a windowsill, and he says, "My money's on the girl." Kind of like. <laughs> bullies Ellen into betting against his girlfriend. And then Spook shows up. And Spook had actually been around for a few days. And he was slacking off uh, disguised as like a regular soldier. Because he didn't want to get sent back out on another Tinai mission while the war was about to come straight into Luthadel. And Spook is a little older now, a little more confident. Uh, doesn't speak in his accent can but doesn't generally uh and, and he still we learn he still has a crush on Vin and so they have this fight Vin and Ham are sparring and Vin manages to beat him and then she has to go get juice for everybody because she beat up Ham and Ham couldn't get up and he's like ah give me some juice so she gets juice she's kind of mean to spook she doesn't get him juice because he's really. a kid it's because he's got a stupid beard now yeah, yeah, his, yeah. Beard, his beard looks dumb he doesn't oh, yeah, get juice because like, his beard you have looks a dumb, dumb beard oh, you don't get juice <laughs> and i think she does doesn't she like push or pull a uh, mug for him or something like yeah she does eventually it's, get him. it's just teasing you know it's what you do to the the new guy, although he's not new, but even though it's not outrightly said, she might not have noticed he was there when she went to get the drinks because I don't think she greets him until she gets back with the drinks. Uh, yeah. But anyways, Ellen notices that Spook is jealous of him and Vin. I don't know if Vin has any idea that Spook likes her, but. Uh, so they all have a good time with the juice, and Ellen is getting along with all of Vin's crew members, except for Docs. And then Ellen and Vin go to see how Ensemble is handling taking over the dog body. And he's done his transformation. He got all the patches of her in the right place. Still has his trachea, so he can talk. And... He's really insulted. He just, he's, this is so degrading to him that he has to take on the body of an animal. And Ellen's is just like, you still follow the contract, right? Like, yeah. So Ellen tries to assure Vin that also I won't turn on them, but Vin is feeling some emotional tension between the two of them. And she doesn't know if the contract will be enough to keep the Contra on their side. And that's the end of chapter six. Tori, you said you had something at the end of chapter six? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, there was something I wanted to mention in the spoiler section. Ah, okay. Does Frank anybody have anything until we do that? Nope. Okay. Bye, Dave. Bye. Bye Dave. Uh, see you in like yeah. half an hour. Yeah, I mean, you. I really, really just love these chapters, and I can't wait to read on probably... Uh, read up on the next section right away so i'm gonna go do that see you guys this concludes the spoiler free section of our podcast if you are as i am reading along for the first time we recommend that you stop listening now as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book but for other cosmere books as well there may also be general spoilers from any other source material spoilers begin now so it's sort of a shame that i couldn't ask him basically because we're doing the back-to-back -back, what Doralium actually does since you find out shortly what it actually does in chapter eight apparently sort of um in chapter eight she tries to use it against zane and she ends up basically like 
giving yourself a seizure in the middle of the street. Right, um, and we'll talk about that uh, when we bring them back, I think. W- when we actually get to see it work is chapter 11? Yeah, chapter 11, which is the last chapter we're doing for the next episode. So, yeah, we'll get to it here shortly. Um, So, rest in peace, Orisur. You were a jerk. Nobody liked you. It's Hello, Tensoon. Everyone likes Tensoon. Tensoon is the best, which, okay, so Elend this whole time is, like, super happy about Vin having a Chondra, and I think it's because Elend had Tensoon. Like, he didn't work for him, but he got to interact with him a lot, and dude's great. So, like... Also, that's the thing. He he doesn't know, of course, it's Tensoon. However, um, keep in mind, like, Vin sort of says, like, oh, he doesn't know what it's like, and I'm like... Alan has mentioned his family has a Chandra. Like, he might have interacted with Tensoon at some point. Um, but, like, Vinsor's like, oh, no, Ellen doesn't understand why I don't like having a Chandra around. Like, she sort of just sort of writes it off. She, she actually does this throughout a lot of the book where she makes certain assumptions and she just sort of discounts it because it doesn't fit whatever view that she, uh, came, especially when it involves Tensoon. Because she does make a lot of assumptions. Well, she makes and... those assumptions based on her past dealings with Orsur. Yeah. Um, what I'm saying is that Ellen's positive view of Kondra is based on the fact that he actually did spend some time with Tensoon before, you know, the Lord Ruler died. Um, so, like, his whole view of Kondra is very positive because Tensoon is awesome. Sure. And he, he does a much better job at following the contract, I think, than Orseer does. Like, Orseer is a very much... Uh, do, do they ever mention which age he is? I think Orseer is something like fifth age? Uh, no, I thought he was the same generation as Tensoon. See, I'm going to look him up while we chat, but I don't know. Just my impression of him in the earlier chapters, I'm like, yes, he's a jerk. But he only does explicitly what Ven... Like, there's... There's obvious antagonism between the both of them. Then when we get to chapter six and Tensoon comes in, I don't see any of that antagonism. Like, there's still assumptions that Vin, Vin is making from their previous, um, what she thought, think is Orsir and the way she's been interacting with him. So she assumes it's still there. But I could tell by the way Tensoon's acting that it's clear that he has no idea, like, of the, relationship between Orsir and Vin. So he's he's very much sort of neutral. He's sort of like, yeah, I'll do this thing. And like and I did want to talk about this in the spoiler chat. I have a lot of stuff I want to talk about chapter six. We're so in we the spoiler chat now. Else? I know. I'm just saying, do we want to go right into this or did you want to talk about the farming thing? Um let's let's go into this and then swing back around. Because I've got a All couple right. of notes. So so I wrote a number of things in the spoiler chat. Um, since I, of course, I was paying a lot of attention. This is the first time Tensoon pops up. Like, what clues does Sanderson give us here that this is not Orsir? And I felt right away you can tell a difference between Tensoon and Orsir. Like, you see how he acted in the earlier chapters, and then see how Tensoon acts. I'm like, they're different. They are completely different people. Oh, and but- I can pick up on it. This is really good but, because he gives you all of these clues and then afterward tells you to start looking for clues. Yes, that's, exactly. that's the end you of this part. <laughs> it rewards the reread. Like, this is absolutely why it's so fun to reread these things because you can pick up on this stuff. And, like, everything you get after that is, like, after Vin decides to start being nicer to him, so any changes might have occurred that might have happened after that point. Might just be because, you know, Vin's decided to stop hating him, so he's decided yeah. to stop being a jerk. But up Is till that point, growth? yeah. Who knows? Yeah, um, it's great. So, I, I still think, like, Ellen is making some assumptions when he talks about how Kondra can be. Like, he also makes an assumption from, I guess, a noble perspective. Like, how they interact with Kondra. Like, they, they make some assumptions as well. And how they assume they always follow the contract by the letter and they 
they don't they don't hate their master like that's not a thing it's like they just do what they're supposed to do they're tools and i think ellen use him still a bit as a tool um i feel like orsier did not like vin for whatever reason maybe it's from when he was renault like there is definitely something there that he does not like vin i'm not sure why because i don't think she really did i don't think she was that much i mean she was a bit of a jerk but i don't think she was like abusive towards him nope she just didn't like him um Okay, but, but so I, I feel like Orsier also didn't like her. Like it's both ways. I For, feel like in Mistborn that they were neutral to each other, like indifferent to each other. But after Kelsier's yeah. death, when Orsier ate Kelsier, um, I feel like Ven probably was really antagonistic about that. Uh, like it happened in. You know, off screen between the two books is kind of the impression that I got. True, but, there was like a year. Yeah. Okay. But I feel like his um, dislike of her comes from that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I, I feel like it's obvious though that Orsier doesn't like her, um, despite what Ellen says. Uh, and given the the differences between the two. I feel like Tensoon is very blunt in the way he says things. Like, he's just willing to... He, he's not going to skirt around the, the issue. He's just going to say exactly what he thinks and means. And I think that's a personality difference between him and Orsir. Um And then, of course, I especially... I, I like the clue of, I'm sorry... Like, Tensoon at one point says about how long it took. He's like, I'm sorry, Mistress, I didn't tell you. Fur takes more time to place. And Vin's like... Oh yeah, you t- told me about that and just waves it off like this is not a big deal. And I'm like, this is a big deal, but we don't know it's a big deal yet. This is, you know, what Mike was saying. Well, and it goes back to their dislike of each other, just that if you don't like someone, you don't really pay attention to the things that they say. Oh, <laughs> nice. those, oh yeah, you told me the thing. Never mind. Like <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, that's that's a good point. It, it just it's just funny that she does just wave it off because of, like you said. And, yeah. um. Well, and, I mean, and it, thinking about that, like really thinking about this, when you look at, uh, Orser's relationship with Kelsier, Kelsier, like, had the contract, but treated Renault at the time like he was another one of the crew. Like, he right. was in on their meetings and Kelsier treated him with respect and, like, he was, he was just another member of the crew. But as soon as Kelsier dies and the contract is transferred to Vin, well, now he's he's less than human. Now he is a creature who has this contract with her, and she she does like like we said, treat him like a tool to be used. And um, well, she doesn't even do that though. Like, he, I mean, Ten soon brings it up, but she doesn't ever use him as a spy. Like, even or see what what he must have been doing for the past year. Like, he just has these criminal bodies, and he's just there as backup somewhat. Like, that's all he was really used for. He has no purpose. It's just, like, he doesn't have to learn someone's personality or pick up. Like, his, the whole thing Conjure typically do, or Seer was not doing any of it. Oh, man. so before you get that, he was included. He had a purpose. uh, He was there for a reason. And Ben has kind of taken all of that away. Okay, guys, guys. Um, Orasur is Alan Rickman from Galaxy Quest. (laughs) (laughs) He's this classically trained actor who, who has this background in Shakespeare and... He's being forced into the worst possible role. In funny prosthetics. Yeah. Yeah. He's Alan Rickman from Galaxy Quest. Wow. Now I sort of feel bad for him. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah. Rip or seer. I mean, I still don't like him. He's still a jerk, but whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Grab Thar's hammer. You shall be avenged. What a savings. Um, okay, so the farm thing, you had... Wait, 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 wait. I'm not done. Well, okay, we'll be done. There's one more thing. There was the, also the whole foreshadowing from Sanderson about how, like, like Vin is still suspicious of how this whole contract really works, and mentioning how, like, 
having this contract is a convenient way of having someone be close to someone else. And it's it's something like she says, that's a great way to get a dagger in the back. And it's funny because eventually that happens, but it's against Zane. I mean, ultimately, it's against Zane. And I just thought that was that was neat. Okay, so yeah. the farm thing. You had a farm thing? Oh my gosh. I thought you had the farm thing. I had the question about the farm thing. Yeah, so when Mike was asking that, I thought you were trying to lead Dave into critically thinking about how uh, a copper mine actually works and the knowledge that it contains. No. And maybe about that there's hints that there's differences in the technological level. So I have a few theories, and it doesn't really... So I will say that this doesn't bug me that Seizad has this information. Because I feel like... When you compile the information in a copper mine, it's not just from one particular region. It's from many regions because I feel like, from what I know, the, the, the region that people lived in was much larger than they do now just because now they're sort of stuck on the North Pole. Um, back then, they were able to spread out much further. So you're talking about information from many different locations, so they might have different things. We know the technological level right before the Lord Roller took over was actually higher than what it, we currently see. It was closer to, like, late Renaissance, from what I recall from a word of Brandon. I, I, I think it's they, he said it's sort of like mid to late Renaissance era, and then it sort of got knocked back into, you know, 12th century, maybe, equivalent okay. to, to our Earth. So, so the Lord Ruler... You lose some of that. You lose tools. You lose machinery. So there was techniques that worked before the technology was there that, of course, the Keepers have, but people might have forgotten because the Lord Ruler did a number of things. Like, he screwed everything up when he first got the power, moved the planets around. I mean, the biggest thing, of course, is that the agriculture and planet is different. There's different plants. He had to change it to make it work for its location and for the ash. Like, okay, so he had the, to do these things. The Lord Ruler and the Ministry suppressed a lot of technology. Did However, it? they had no reason at all to suppress irrigation and farming techniques. In fact, they had every reason to like encourage that sort of technological progress just to keep everybody fed. Yeah, but they're... It's a peasant-type system. It's not... We're talking farmers. Who? So what existed before the Lord, Lord Ruler um, gained power is that we're talking people who chose farming for their family, not necessarily controlled as peasants and ska. Um, so, yeah, of course they came up with techniques to make their job easier, whereas Lord Ruler comes in and be like, no, you're ska now, you're just going to farm and figure it out. Like he had no he and and it's it's sort of clear when you see him at the end of the first book. Lord Ruler doesn't care. He doesn't even think about people. It's just sort of like the, I, I don't want to. People are just numbers. They're okay, just but there. We they we have evidence that whatever. like other food technologies have advanced, um, i.e., the canneries. We have canning, yeah. Um. So. There's no reason to suppress farming technology. None at all. I don't think it's that he suppressed it so much as it just happened. I'm not making the argument that he suppressed farming revolutions. It's just sort of the combination of getting a bunch of people who didn't farm to start farming. Uh, the the um, ecology, the, the plants changing, and just having the deal. And of course... You also had the fact that Scott were considered expendable. It's just throw numbers at it. It's just have a bunch of peasants who can breed much faster than the nobles can and just use them for that sort of thing. Like it's, it has nothing to do about suppressing. It's just sort of, this is what happened as a result uh, of the, of the cataclysm. Well, not the cat, Lord Roller taking power. Cataclysm is what happens later. Um, but yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think it's sort of like, this, this is not a natural thing. Like, these people, before the Lord Roller got power, were not necessarily farmers. It's just, they were thrown into this position. You have a, a, a low life expectancy, frequently just tortured and killed to get the stuff done. Like, 
Seizek comes through like, look, there are better ways to do this, which they can now discuss and talk about because you don't have an overseer looking over your shoulder saying, you got to do it this way. Like, they can actually experiment now. So keep that in mind. They they couldn't really do that. Maybe you would have some nobles who are like, yeah, this is totally, there's a better way. Maybe that happened, but it's not the peasants that had that information. It would be the nobles at that point, if that so I think it's just more that the pet, that the ska can't really talk to each other and come up with new techniques. They just this is their life. You you wake up, you do this thing, and you sleep. Okay. Next thing. Uh, the next thing I have is answering Dave's supposition. Yeah. Which is that there's a okay. So he had had it in his head that there's an alloy of gold. And an alloy of atium. Yeah. Um, we've seen the alloy of atium. That is the 11th metal, or malatium. We yep. have not seen the alloy of gold. That is electrum that shows up in the third book, like right at the beginning. They find it in between books. It's like they get the formula for it from one of the storage caches. Yeah. Um, and electrum is poor man's atium. So you burn it and you throw off a bunch of faux ATM shadows, but you don't get, like, the benefits. Right, right. So, so what I was going to tell him was that um, I was just basically going to tell him about Mal-ATM, which I I don't know when it shows up, but it's not, like, a big deal that it's an alloy of gold and ATM, but it's not gold's alloy. It's ATM's alloy. Yeah, when alloy. they talk about it being an alloy of gold, uh, I think I think Kelsier, or there's a, a rumor about the left metal, it's mentioned as a alloy of gold. That's because it's an alloy of gold and atium. So that's it's it's one in. So when it's referred to in the book, it's specifically talking about the eleventh metal. But later on, we find out there's also electrum, which is the real alloy of gold. Because technically, atium's a god metal. It's it's sort of separate from the sixteen we know and love. Yeah, it follows its own rules. Um. Right. Yeah, earlier when you said, oh, I, I need to answer Dave's supposition, I thought you were talking about um, Duralamin and uh, whether there are mistings for it, because he kind of touched on that a little bit. Like, are there actually mistings who can burn these other metals, or do you have to be a mistborn to do it? Yeah, oh, I can, I can answer that, too. Oh. Yeah, well, I know you can, because I, I, I've read the books, too, but... Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I I think Dave did mention that they think there can't be Alamancers, uh, sorry, ATM mistings. And I'm like, that's an assumption someone made that's going to be proved wrong eventually. Go on. All right. So we have a question from the chat. Uh, this is more of an Era 2 thing, but why doesn't Sazed supply any Laracium? Uh, and I have some thoughts on that. Uh, the first is that uh, he doesn't really want there to be Mistborn anymore because Mistborn plus um, Farukami equals OP, please nerf. <laughs> Lord rulers everywhere. Yeah. Um, like, he made Spook a Mistborn as, like, a special favor of, hey, thanks, bud, you helped fix things but there just aren't Mistborn anymore. And that's the thing. He's specifically a Mistborn. He's not a ferrochemist plus Mistborn. Well, there also aren't full ferrochemists anymore in Era 2. Like, Sazed did away with that as well. I don't think he did away with it so much as that's just what happened over time with the interbreeding. Well, that and the uh, uh, over the course of, like, the third book, the, you know, those guys with the spikes... The Inquisitors um, were actually hunting down Ferrucamus and just just straight up murdering as many as they could to steal extra powers. So okay. there just weren't any anymore. So the 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 bloodline got diluted. Yeah, um, I I mean I think that brings up a good question that we'll have to get into when we start discussing Error Two, which is why like every example we've seen of ferrochemists in the book has been general ferrochemists. Like, they can do all the metals. It's very odd to have a ferrochemist m- misting. 
but the again, Ferristing. maybe that's just a combination. We're gonna call them Ferristings. Okay. I think they're just fairings. Ferristings. No, you're right. That's so, the actual term, fairing. I, I think another answer to the chat is that I'm not entirely. I mean, I guess Seized can make Larisium, but he makes Harmonium at metal, like naturally, or whatever they want to call it. It's called at metal. It's and, called at metal, and it's it um it reacts with water, so it reacts explosively with water. Um, yes. So if you yeah. try to swallow some to burn it, it's gonna go bad for you. And maybe it does the same thing as Laresium, uh, and it just this whole explosiveness makes it so you can't really use it for that purpose. Which it's I funny, feel like I was just reading a theory about that on the um, subreddit. I feel like that was intentional on Sazed's part. He's just like, yeah. nope, nope, we're not. I I apparently have to make a god metal because I'm a god, but we're not dealing with that. You you put it in your mouth and your head blows up. That's it. That's just how that works. Um, all right. Anybody got anything else on these three chapters? Otherwise, we can. And yes, okay, go ahead. I write these words in steel. For anything not set in metal cannot be trusted. And yep. okay, thank you guys. Now every time I pick up a spoon, I'm going to think of that. <laughs> I'm sorry. So when Dave was talking about, so what if it was a pen with molten steel ink? Well, we know Ruin can change writings, and if it's written in steel, he, he can't change it. He can't even see it. What if you had a pen with molten steel ink? Could Ruin affect it? Could he? I don't know. I, mean, so, I think if it's not it written. He would, he would read the absence of the right. Right. On paper, but would he be able to change it? I don't think he could. You don't think he could change it because it. So I, I know he could read it like that. I think makes sense because what you mentioned—the absence of the metal—he can see the words. Um, like it would. I, th- I think the reason the paper in the shape of the words. I think. I I don't see why not. Why he can't change metal? Like it's written in metal because he can't see it. Therefore, he can't change it because he doesn't know what it says or where the words are or anything like that. That's why you can trust it because he just can't see it. I don't see why if he can read it, he can't, he can change. Like, I don't see why he wouldn't be able to mess with metal unless maybe it's aluminum. Um, cause aluminum has some interesting properties, but. Well, we know he can't see it, but can he also not affect it? Because. If he could affect it, then he could have just wiped that metal slate clean. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going right. to go with he just can't do anything with it. Like, it glows too brightly for him to see it. Um, And then he also isn't able to manipulate it in any way. So that's the, that's the only way it makes sense. Ruin, if we wanted to write a letter to Ruin, a big old, hey, screw you, you maladroit god, <laughs> then... <laughs> Maladroit. I know, that's not But we're making fun of it. So, anyway. You would need to use a pen with molten steel ink. Is is that fair? Or you could just make, like, big, big metal letters, like, big metal block letters, like you find at, you know, Hobby Lobby. Yeah. Like, I don't see why we get anything that says he can't mess with metal. Because he, he does stuff with spikes and things like that, right? No. He has people do things with spikes. Yeah, he has people do, yeah. And, but the, that's, the, that's the thing. Like, he could technically have an Inquisitor just ruin the giant plate. Like, there's nothing that says to not... He can't touch it or interact with it. It's just that he doesn't know to do that. Except that he knows what the, the original plate says as soon as Sazed makes a rubbing of it. And could have wiped it clean at that point if he was able to manipulate it. Well, he'd have to have Marsh do it then. No, no, no. We're talking about direct godly intervention. Like the way he changes the written word. Like if right, he, but that's just messing with someone's head. He, he easily messes with people's heads. Like that's nope, just what not messing about. with people's heads. Literally changing words on, on a page. And yeah. also that, stuff in people's copper minds. One remembered how the prophecies were supposed to be. When he checked his copper mines, they were changed. Right. But he remembered because his own natural memory was good. So, yeah, he can't 
affect people's minds. Ruin can't affect people's minds. Uh, he can affect the written word. He can affect it even inside a copper mind, but not inside someone's actual head. I think we're going to have to talk more about this, but that that's... Yeah. I'm remembering all this, and it's been a while since we've really gotten to this this part of it. That's why I'm not up there yet in my reread. Um, yeah, that's that's a good point. Like I, I now I'm remembering that Quan realized because he has such good memory, and he sees what's in the copper mine, and it's different. That that's a huge like flag. Um, so he's not actually messing with their memories, and when it's pulled out of the cop- copper mine and put back in. But he can mess with it inside the copper mine, and we know he messes with the actual rubbings because it will appear different later on. Yeah, and the the best that preservation can do is just cut a section out. Right, right. Anyway, uh, let's end it because I want to get to the next recording. Yeah. So let's get Dave back in here. All right, I'm gonna need like five minutes to to end this and then save it. But well, bye, everybody. Save. Yeah, bye, everyone. Good night, Internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.